sometimes. Like recently, I was I was doing a funeral, and these these big fellas from a, a, a local pub came. And in my mind, I think I'm like six foot two and big, and 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 then, and then I suddenly got a glimpse of my reflection stood next to these towering giants. Um, and I'm having the same thing with, I think of myself as, as young, and then sometimes I realise, actually, I'm starting to feel like an old knackered cart horse. But anyway, I'm here, and um, I, am, I am loving the fact that I'm in church. I'm loving the fact that I get to come here. I've never been to a service, I don't think, here before, so uh, I love it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Harper A, I don't know. Anybody know Harper A? Yeah. Anybody live near Arparay? Some of you, right? So, so you'll know, you'll know what it's like. So, where I live is a, it's a typical street in Arparay. I live in a really nice house, actually. But um, just, just the way that it works in Arparay, it's a bit wild at times. It's a typical kind of council estate type area with all those problems that can come with that. Um, wonderful people, but also some difficult and challenging situations. Opposite my road, opposite where my my, my house is on the street I live. There is um, regularly like a, a drug steal that goes on two or three times a day. I come out and I see them there. My neighbours and friends uh, are used to it. However, when people come to visit me, they're like, don't want to get out of their cars if they see them there. It looks a bit weird. My cousin came from the Isle of Man. Has anyone ever been to the Isle of Man? That's like the opposite spectrum from where I live. And uh, they didn't want to get out of the car. <laughs> they're like... Um, but when I do go out the car, and when I do go out the, the front door, I, I feel quite safe because they tell me, don't worry, we won't let anybody into your house. <laughs> Suitably reassured, I set off on my journey, wherever it is that I'm going. Um, but but it, it is what it is. It's the way it is. And I have been privileged to live there for a long time. And um, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it has helped shape and form who I am and what I'm about. And I thought today I could share a little bit of perhaps who I am, uh, a little bit of some of the journey that God has took me on. I thought I could share a little bit of something that God has been teaching me over the years um, that regularly have to remind myself of and put in practice, and maybe b- bring a little challenge for you as well, just to, just, to, just to prod you a little bit, if that's all right. Will we be all right with that? Yeah. Um, I have to give you a little warning. I will be making some reference to the idea of grief, pain, and suffering. Now, I know, I know, I know that, you know, like the idea of, of how to win friends and influence people, you probably shouldn't start with these kind of subjects. And it is the first time I've spoke here. But anyway, it's what I've got, so I'm going to bring it. But I thought it'd be worth to, to just warn you, um, perhaps if you're like me, and I suddenly started tearing up at a baptism. I don't even know what was going on, but I'm like, yay, someone's going to baptize that. I'm that guy, I cry at weddings, I cry at funerals, I pretend I don't, I cover my eyes, but I, I, I cry at baptisms, I, 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 anything, I'm, I'm soft, I just style it out. Um, but also, perhaps, perhaps maybe you're going to be going through some of these things, perhaps you're in the middle of it now, and I didn't want to just drop this bomb on you in the middle of the service when you're like, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden, why did he say that? So I will be talking about some of these things, and if you're struggling with any of that, I would love to pray with you after. If it's something that touches your heart or is impacting you, particularly because it's your right now, come and chat to me and tell me. I'd love to pray with you. Um, but I wanted just to, to be honest about that from the off um, with it. So I grew up the son of a Baptist minister, and... Uh, my dad became a Christian 
in the army. He was a soldier for nine years. He became a Christian and, and eventually became a Baptist minister. He married my lovely mother. And my mother was the daughter of a Baptist minister. And uh, her brother became a Baptist minister. And I tried my absolute best to avoid this yoke of Baptist ministry. <laughs> and yet here I am. Um, and when I say I tried my best, I really, I, trust me, I did. Every time I was at college, I went to the principal at least twice in the course of every year saying, I'm not even a Baptist, get rid of me. And they didn't, they, they pursued. And, um, and so, so, yeah, a few years ago, um, I was ordained as a Baptist minister. <laughs> I still don't really know how it happened, but it happened. I am probably the least qualified Baptist minister in the country, um, and maybe the least likely, but nevertheless, um, I'm in. I'm on their list. But, but I, I have to be honest with you, and I was delighted to see a baptism. I didn't know this. Was, I have to be honest with you. My ordination, in my mind, is not when they did the thing that they did and made me say the stuff that I said on, on my day of ordination. That is not my ordination. My ordination was my baptism. My baptism was the day that, that, that I was baptized into Christ and into his ministry. That was, that's my ordination. In my mind and in my heart, that's when things changed for me. I had faith as a child. I didn't get baptized till I was about, I think, just 19. But my baptism was very much my ordination. It was my ordination into the mission of God. That idea of mission was significant from then on in. I was baptized into Christ, and his mission became my mission. It became, it became the thing of, of, of who I was and what I was about. In my mind, I think it suddenly became this thing of, of you know, that, 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 that great hall of, of faith in Hebrews 11 that lists all the different people that have gone before and our ancestors of faith and, and lists some of the, the great things that went on. In my mind, I became part of that big thing. In my mind, on my baptism, I suddenly took my place. I suddenly had the baton handed to me of this mission, and it was my time to run my race. It was my time to do the lap that I'd been given to do, and I took hold of it. It's a high calling. The mission is great. The mission is huge. This is not an average mission. So, so in the baptism today, who was baptized today? Where are you hiding? Who was baptized today? The, the, you. Happy ordination day. You were ordained into the mission of God. And the calling is high. The calling is high. The mission is immense. But I want to tell you something. The rewards for this mission are off the scale. They're off the scale. The rewards for this mission are eternal. And they are beyond anything you've imagined so far in your existence. This is a big deal, and we are dealing with eternity. It's huge, and you get to take your part. And each one of us, when we're baptized, we're baptized into this mission. We're baptized. We're, we're, we're ordained into this mission. That's so huge. It's, it's it kind of off the charts in our thinking. I didn't do too well in school. I, I, I probably annoyed all my teachers. I quite good at annoying people. And, um, and I didn't do too well. And I didn't have a great deal of perspective of what my life was going to be like. But somehow, in this, this responding to God and saying, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. 
It gave me a purpose like nothing I'd ever known. And, and I wanted to just throw that out at the beginning because for me, this concept of mission is much more about who we are, about who I am, about who, I, who you are, rather than something that we do. Often when we talk about mission, we're talking about what we do. We're talking about the thing that we're going to go and do. For me, the concept of mission is, is, was, was about who I am. And it's built and built from then. You know, disciples of Jesus, we, we're sent by definition. It's an identity. It's not an occupation. You know, everywhere we go and everything we do, we're representing Jesus. Everywhere we go and in everything we do, we're conveyors of the kingdom of God. Not because that's our job, but because that's who we are. We, we, we have to do that. It's who we are. We're baptized into Christ. His, his life becomes our life. His mission becomes our mission. Therefore, we're changed. And we're changed and we're sent. So it doesn't matter where you put me. I'm sent there. It doesn't matter where I end up. It doesn't matter who I'm with. I'm a sent person. I'm on mission because that's who I am. I'm about mission because that's who I am, because that's who he is. And my life is, is firmly rooted in him. So I said I'd tell you a little bit about, about some of my story and some of my journey. And I, I put off baptism for a long time. In fact, I put off even taking communion in church for a long time. I, I, I grew up, I used to get really annoyed with people. And, they, they, you know, at a baptism, they'd be all gathered around. And we were quite Baptist. So when someone got baptized and came up, we all sang, He is Lord, He is Lord, He's risen from the dead, and He is Lord. And, and I'd be stood there around the baptism, and all my, all my mates would be getting baptized. And someone would always give me a little elbow. You know those knowing, annoying people in church? Not that there'd be any here. But, but, but those, those and it, you'll be next. I'd be like, you'll be next, mate. Right now. It put me right off. It just put me right off. I didn't want to know. And then we, we, we moved to Harper Hay. It was kind of cool because everyone said, don't move there. And said told my parents, they were being, I was, I'm the oldest of four. They said, oh, you're being irresponsible going to Harper Hay. And they said, oh, it's not that bad. And then sure enough, on the day of my dad's induction into the church, it was literally a case of turn left at the burning car. There we go. All the stereotypes were met on the day. I kind of liked it. I kind of felt this is a place where I can belong. So I started to take communion, and very shortly after, I was baptized. There was lots of things that God did, lots of things I could tell you about him journeying with me, the idea that I had to suddenly become a man rather than being a boy and, and, and having faith as a boy. He expected different things of me. I started to read the Bible in a different way. And, and, and push came to shove. I said, I just need to get baptized, and it took me there. At that time, I, I met a girl in church. Has anyone ever met a girl in church? <laughs> Happens. And um, I, I, I met a girl in church called Tina. And um, she had a baby already. And um, we met, and the baby was, was just months old. And eventually, we fell in love and, and, and got married. Now... Here's where, here's where the thing I want to talk about is a little bit tricky. So, I'd grown up in church. I'd had all sorts of prophecy. I'd had all sorts of stuff spoken over me. I was beginning to take hold of the things that God had called me to. I had, I had been baptized. Things were shifting. I'd met 
a girl that I wanted to get married to. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, in, in her early 20s, she was diagnosed with cancer. And literally, my world fell apart. Everything I thought I knew didn't make sense anymore. Everything that I thought I could stand on, all the things that I thought I was looking for, I had it mapped out in front of me. I thought, this is it. I screwed up my teenage years. I screwed up school. But here we go. We're on it. And literally, the situation felt a little bit like, the way I could describe it is, you know when the washing machine finishes half cycle and you pull your washing out and it's just this big load of wet, mushy clothes, and, sl and someone slung it on the floor in the corner of the room, that's what my life felt like all of a sudden. It was just like this big load of <laughs> sat in the corner, that's it. That's, that's, that's my life. That's my lot. That's where it's at. And I didn't really figure this thing out too well at the time because I dropped out of school. I was doing, I was doing some, sort of lots of different manual work in different places, warehouses and different stuff, just because that's the work that I had. And, and so I guess my existence was, was kind of a mix of warehouses, hospitals, prayer meetings, hospitals, warehouses, that kind of stuff. And, and that, that's pretty much what it was. It wasn't what I anticipated, and it wasn't what I was expecting, and it wasn't what I'd hoped for. But that's what it was. In the middle of this, in the middle of the, the crazy situation that we found ourselves in, we were praying and we were doing the things that we knew how to do. We were stepping out. We were standing on faith. We were, we, we were doing all that stuff. And, and, and I had a moment where I was speaking to Tina and she said, I've got this, this passage and I can't get it out of my head. And, and it, 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 was, it was the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the, the, the fiery furnace. And she, she said to me, I feel a bit like them. I feel like I'm faced with this furnace in front of me. And everything that is in me wants to say, I've had enough of this nonsense. But I feel like them in that I know that God is more than able to save me. But even if he doesn't, I am not going to let go of what I've got. I am not going to step back from this thing. I am not going to stop trusting him. And it's stuck with me, and it's always stuck with me, because it's easy to believe when we've got a positive future and an outcome in front of us, but it's a little bit harder when we don't know what that's going to end up like. It's a little bit harder when everything doesn't look like it's supposed to look like, when the ideal thing isn't taking place. It's a little bit harder, and it's stuck with me. There was flames, and there was fire, but in the midst of the flames and the fire, there was very definite faith. Probably more for her than there was for me in the middle of it. Within four years of, of Tina's diagnosis, she had died and gone to be with Jesus. This, this, is, this is where things started to, 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 to take a bit of a cold reality check for me. Because all of a sudden, I'd become a single parent. Kind of blew my, my mind a little bit. Um, I had a poorly paid job and I was, to be honest, shell-shocked. I didn't really know what was going on or where I was going to be or what I was going to do next. I'd turn up, go to work, come home, do the things I needed to do, put one foot in front of the other. And, and that lasted for seven years. It was not all good, as you could imagine, but it was lots of good things in the midst of it. 
There was lots of things in the midst of it where God would be speaking to me and challenging me and shaping me. There was lots of things in the middle where I was crying and holding my head and trying to figure this thing out. And it wasn't a short period of time. It was a long period of time. It wasn't all pain and sorrow and grief. There was fun and laughter and enjoyment in the mix. But it was a tough run. And it was a run that took me a long period of time to get my head and my heart around. Now, I don't know whether you've experienced things like this. I've no doubt in a room this big that many of you will have done. But it's not easy, and people will often give you glib answers. Richard will know, and, and, and a few people know. I'm not very good with glib answers. Don't give me glib answers in the middle of a difficult time. Um, it rankles me. I, um, and I, 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 but, but, but people do. There's no glib answers for things like this. There's no easy solution. There's no, there's no quick fix to it. These things hurt, and they're painful, and they're tricky. Seven years later, I met Vanessa in church. <laughs> and um, she must have been a bit mad, because I was like a little bit older, had a, had a child, had a whole history. Somehow I managed to convince her to marry me. <laughs> and we began a, a family. And to be honest, that was where a rebuild in my life really began. It really, it, it really did. God started to, some of, the things that he, some of the things that he promised me, some of the things that he spoke to me, some of the things he said to me started to be fulfilled in a way that I thought was gone, in the way that I thought it had passed. It came back again. We... we we started to, to have children, and um, we called our children all names. A bit like, you know, in the Old Testament, like you have piles of stones to remind you of things. Well, we went for that. We were, we were, we were thinking about names. So is, Isabella is dedicated, dedicated to God. Gracie is obviously Grace, but I say she's a cheeky Grace, and she really is. Um, Tobias, God is good, and Peter is the rock. Peter's my middle name. I was called Simon Peter, like every good Christian kid gets kind of that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and uh, I was called Simon Peter by my mum for about three years until they got sick of saying it. And I think my brother was born and couldn't say it anyway. So, um, but, but, but yet, so my son, youngest son, is Peter the Rock. And these, these names, they've meant something to us. And to be honest, along the journey when things are difficult, I remember those names and I remember who they are. And they stand a bit like pillars to remind me of what God has done and how faithful he's been. Now, I said I'd give you a little bit about who I am, and that's a little bit about who I am. And I'm sorry if that's hit a raw nerve for you, and if it has, I'd love to speak to you and pray with you, and I promise I'll never give you a glib answer. Um, but, but what I do know is this, that in the middle of all of that, God has taught me some big things and some small things along the way. And I've got something that I wanted to share with you about that, that God has taught me in the midst of all of this. Don't get excited, but there's always going to be flames. You know this. You know when you, you read the, the armor of God? It says that, that there's a, a shield of what? Shield of faith. What's it for? <laughs> there's always going to be flames. It's just the way it is. There's, there's flames, okay? There's flames. Those flames are intended to burn and to destroy. You know, some fires, they're bigger than others. Some fires are hotter than others. But because of that mission, 
that I spoke about, because of the significance of that mission, because of how important the mission of God is on the earth, there will be opposition. There will be flames. There will be things that will push back. There's no way around it. If you're on mission, there will be flames. There will be opposition to who we are and what we are. There will be. There is a battle. There is an opposition and there are flames. You know, I really wanted a flame-free life. Anyone fancy one of them? No chance. No chance. There will be flames. There's always going to be flames. But what I've learned is this, that there is more to the flames than meets the eye. We can see the flames and want to run from the flames because they're hot and they're painful, and it's true. And there are times when those flames disappear. There are times where those flames instantly are quenched. But there are other times where that doesn't happen. There are other times when it, it, th- those flames continue, and it feels like it's hurting, and it feels like there's difficulty. In the flames, as hard as this sounds, in the flames, we can grow. In the flames, we can be built up. In the flames and the heat, we can be transformed. Learning to deal with the flames, it builds faith inside of us. It causes us to develop as the children of God. If we never had to work our way through the flames, if we never had to, to, to figure out how this thing happens and how this thing's work, if we never had to, we'd be immature babies. You speak to any man or woman of, of, of God, if you like, anybody with experience in the Christian world and in Christian ministry, I'll tell you they've been through a whole bunch of flaming hot places. They overcome, they move through, they go on. It's how they've grown and developed and learned. There is no way around, and they will happen. But in the middle of it, faith rises. In the middle of it, we grow. In the middle of it, we become stronger. In the middle of it, we become more the children of God than we were before. A couple of verses from James chapter 1. You'll know them. They're the ones that nobody likes. They sound insane. James chapter 1 and verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, I can't tell you that I have a neat theology of this, because I don't. I can't tell you that I've got this thing sewn up, because I haven't. I can't tell you that I look at a problem in front of me like I had two weeks ago and count it all pure joy. I can't. Part of me wonders what kind of a person does. But I get what it's saying here. Because I know that when I'm faced with something, If I can manage to stand firm, if I can manage to hold on, if I can manage to refocus my attention on Jesus, if I can manage to see the bigger picture rather than the small picture, actually something changes inside of me. 
Actually, something grows inside of me. Actually, faith is proved. You know, it's easy. It's easy to have faith when everything's good in the world. But you know, faith isn't about just what we see. It's not just about all the things that go well for us. That's faith. Faith, faith is about believing when everything's going to pop. Faith is about staying strong and firm in what you believe when it doesn't make any sense anymore. This is where your faith proved. This is where your faith is really seen as faith. I really wanted a, a flame-free route. But the truth is, I had to learn to persevere. The truth is, I've had to learn to press through. The truth is, I have had to learn to cry out to God when I don't understand. But you know, hope is the anchor in the whole thing. This mission is a big deal. The reason this mission is a big deal is because it speaks it's for all eternity. It's not something small, it's something giant. You know, we don't go through flames and, so, and, and go, don't go through difficulty for no reason. We go because there's opposition to what's to come. We go because there is lives at stake. There is eternity at stake. This is, this is why it matters. This is why it, we need to be those that step in and not, not, not shrink back. It matters. It's a big deal. The mission is worth it. Heaven is worth it. Salvation is worth it. It's worth it. We take our place with Christ in his mission and his move. But holding fast in hope to what is to come is the anchor. It is the anchor. When nothing makes sense, when everything's struggling, when things are difficult, I know, I know that this is temporary and that's eternal. I know that this short suffering is worth it because what's to come will blow my mind. I know it. And that hope, that hope stirs me. That hope anchors my soul in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of problems. And my, my difficulties and problems that I've experienced through my life are small compared to what some have. You know, I, I, I chuckle and I laugh and sometimes I'm awkward. And, and, and I, I've had lots of people, and you'll have probably said it, I've said it myself, and I've, I've heard other people, they've, they've quoted things like, I'm following my peace. I don't know where I'd have to hide to get peace, but it'd have to be somewhere far, far away. But here's the thing, there, I, I, I don't know how much peace the first apostles had as they were stoned and chased, and some of them martyred. I, I, I don't know how much peace they had in a world sense. That's not what I'm looking for. Peace is not, I would say peace is not the, <laughs> the absence of noise and strife. Peace is the presence of God. That's the real peace. If you want to follow the peace, follow the presence of God. He'll take you some crazy places that don't always feel peaceful as the world will call it. But he never promised us peace as the world gives it. <laughs> he promised us a different kind of peace. That he'd be in the midst of it all with us. And through it. I've been in some places where I didn't know what to say. And I didn't know what to pray. And I've been in some circumstances where I had no clue what was going to come out of my, my mouth next half the time. 
But a bit further down from the, the passage I read in James, you come to verse 12. It says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I don't know what you're in today. I don't know what's going on with you today, and I don't know what your future will be. But there are times where we have to stand. There are times where we have to persevere. There are times when the pressure is big and the pressure is hard. But I want you to know this, that he honors that with abundant blessings. He will bless you. He will bless you with blessings that are far beyond what you will have in this life. I believe that I can take a down payment on some of the blessings that I have in eternity right now. I believe that. I believe that there are things that God has blessed me with and blessed me in for standing firm when everything went to pot around me that he has reached out and blessed me with. I know that there is, and I know that those things will last forever, but I know that as I call out to him and as I exercise the faith that I've, I've, I've had grow in me in the flames, it makes me stronger for the next one and, 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 and makes me able to take something beyond where I've ever been before. I wanted to speak to you today, remind you of this. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, cunningly comes straight after Hebrews 11, which I've already referenced. The great, this hall of faith and fame of the, the, the first, the patriarchs of our faith, if you like. I love this passage of, of 11 because it takes me to this place where actually them with us see the fulfillment of what was promised. I love it. And then we have found ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I wanted to speak to you today and challenge you with this. Do not give up. When you haven't got a prayer left in you, phone someone who has. When you don't know what to do next, Croak something out. Let him know that despite anything else, even if he doesn't save you from the flames, I'll not bow the knee to anyone else. Let him know. Like those disciples did when Jesus started preaching in John's gospel and he started preaching about drinking blood and eat, eating his body and everyone disappeared and went off. And they all said, this guy's nuts. This is too much. Jesus said to his disciples, are you going to go too? And he said, what did, what did they say to him? They said, where else would we go? You've got the words of eternal life. There are times where I've said, I don't know what's going on anymore, God, and this doesn't look like it's supposed to look, but this I know. There's nowhere else to go and there's nothing else to do. You're all there is and I put everything on you. You might be in that place today. 
And that might be your best prayer. Pray it, because I tell you now it honors him. I tell you now he's delighted with that prayer. You don't need to have all the fancy answers. You don't need to, to start your orchestra of praise in the, in, in the hospital side. You don't, need to, you don't need to do the things you've read in the books. What you need to do is say, God, I don't have a clue, but I'm trusting you. I don't know what to do next, but this foot will go in front of the other foot until you take me home. I want to remind you that this is temporary, and what is to come is eternal. You are part of something huge. (laughs) When it doesn't make sense, and when it hurts like crazy, and when you don't know what to do, remember what it is that's at stake. Remember what it is that we're a part of. Remember how big this mission is. This is the greatest rescue mission of all time, and you have a part to play in it. It's not nothing, it's huge. And God is honored by our small steps in the midst of difficulties. Somehow those small steps break ground into new things for more people. Somehow the little things that we do, the places that we exercise faith, the places that we stand up and are counted, they make a difference in this gospel picture. Makes a difference in eternity. And God is pleased when you do it. 20 years ago, Over 20 years ago, I crouched down behind a closed door immediately after my wife had passed away. There was people still around her bed praying she'd raised from the dead, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. And I closed a bedroom door and I got on my own. And I knelt down. And as I knelt down, because this door closed behind me so no one could get in, I prayed. A prayer that's probably changed my life again and again. I said, God, I have no idea what has just happened to me. But I want you to know, I worship you right here and right now. And he spoke to me there and then. And he told me he'd bless me. He told me he'd bless me. See my children? See my lovely wife? He did. He did. Again and again and again and again and again. He did. Two weeks ago, I lay in a high dependency ward just up the road in the hospital and I whispered a prayer to God because I had no voice left. I'll save you the gory details, but I went in for what should have been a 20-minute procedure. Four days later, they let me out of hospital. Something went badly wrong. Um, And uh, my, my voice could hardly speak. When I was speaking, Vanessa was putting her ear close to my face. To, to hear what I was saying. And um, I prayed. I prayed a prayer was like this. God, just bless me bigger than this. Bless me bigger than this. Here I am. <laughs> I would like to pray for you, and I would like us to respond to God. I don't know what you're in, and I don't know where you're going to end up. But perhaps you'll remember some funny, weird guy on the stage saying, whatever it is, however big or small that situation is, pray your best prayer and it might sound like a muffle. But whatever it sounds like, say, God, I'm here and I'm going nowhere else. Because you're all I know and you're all I have. And I'll trust you for it. I'll trust you for it. Let me pray and then we're going to respond with a song and I'll let you direct what's going to happen next. Father, I want to thank you. 
for this place, for this people. I want to thank you for the body of Christ here. I want to thank you for the encouragement that we are to one another. And I pray for every person in the flames today. Any person experiencing the temperature turned up beyond what they can stand. Lord, I pray that you ignite faith. I pray for every weak voice and shaky hand. Holy Spirit, will you breathe life into us? Cause strength to rise and faith to build. Lord, I pray that we will be a people where faith grows in the flames and you are glorified in Jesus name Amen Amen.